um, which is awesome. So you guys having fun tonight? Yeah, it's good when you feel his presence and then healings happen. And so for those of you that, that if you were here that tonight and had that question, like, I want to see God do something, that's what it looks like is that uh, these individuals who've got pain, we're trusting that they're honest that they're not making this stuff up. I don't have an ear, uh, you know, thing in my ear where they're, they're t- telling me all the people who are sick in the room, you know. I just was in worship and felt pain here and pain there, and I don't have that pain, so I know that's how the Lord communicates to me that he wants to minister to others. So just know that God is a healing God, and he loves you. And uh, um, I had this really cool thing that happened in uh, South Carolina earlier this year. Um, we were doing a healing conference, and, um, you know, there's about, you know, 150 people there, and we had like 800 people online. It was ridiculous because uh, the leader there is Indian, so he has like just tons of relationships in Asia. And this woman in the back, her name was Sarah, asked this question, and she said, um, yeah, I've been raised in the church my whole life, and, I be- and my church believes in healing, but I've never seen a healing happen. Like, how, do you, how would you encourage me to go about to see a miracle? And I just said, well, do you want to see one right now? And she was like, right now, right now? And I said, yes, right now. Let's do it right now, right here in the room in front of this entire conference. If we're talking about healing, but we actually don't pray for people, that's, that's wrong, you know, to teach on it and not actually do it. So I just said, will you come up here? And she's like, you can see the fear in her eyes. I'm like, it's a great question, but now, honey, you got to go do it. So I'll help you. We'll do this together. And so I already had a couple words of knowledge. And so I've been doing this thing for 12 years, so I'm more confident than she is. She's never done this before. So I, it's not about me seeing miracles. It's about help giving her a victory underneath of her belt. And so I just brought her up, and I just called out a word of knowledge. And I think it was uh, like a, I think it was, was it right? You weren't there. It was Caleb. Uh, so it was a right foot issue. And this woman raised her hand. And I was like, so what's the issue in your right foot? And she goes, well, like 18 years ago, my husband tried to poison me. And ever since then, I've had major nerve damage to my 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 not only my, my right foot, but other places. And I'm like, that's pretty significant. I'm thinking like, you know, someone tripped over their ankle the other day and has some pain. And so, so and now I also know that there, this woman might need a little bit of deliverance and inner healing of like your husband tries to kill you and poison you. Um, and so thankfully she's in deliverance ministry and already gone through a lot of the inner healing stuff. Uh, but I helped bring her on stage. And so we're doing this in front of like a thousand people. And this girl, I know God loves Sarah enough to bring a healing to this woman. Also that God loves that woman as well. And so we brought her on stage to help model how to pray for the sick and how to do this. And so I just told them, I said, instead of us just going right into the prayer model, I just just feel like we need to ask the presence of the Lord to come and just rest on this woman and let the presence of the Lord just minister to her heart. And as that was happening, I, I got a vision and I saw Jesus come and stand behind this woman and come and kiss her on the cheek. And he said, I want you to tell her that I'll be the best husband she'll ever have. But okay, Jesus, sure, you know. And so I just whispered in this woman's ear. She just starts to break down, just starts weeping, just starts just crying as God ministers to her heart. And we pray very simply. We command all the nerve damage that's there caused through the acid of what the poison did. And she got, and she took her boots off and started walking across the stage, was completely healed of 18 years of this chronic nerve pain that happened through this, this, uh, you know, very difficult scenario where her husband tried to uh, kill her. So, And so that was great that she got healed, but then Sarah's face was spectacular when she's like, really? Like all the pain is gone? And she's like, yeah, I haven't been able to do this in a long, long time. So, so just know that 
if you have those hearts and those questions, like God loves questions. God loves a pure and sincere heart. And if you're in that place where you're like, God, I want to see you move more. I want to hear your voice more. I want to see you move more, more clearly. Keep asking him, but also act on it. Because the best way that you're going to see God move is by trying to do something instead of waiting on him. Like him, he's waiting on us as the church to do what he's called us to do. Amen? So, well, my name's Timothy. Hi. Official introductions. <laughs> and uh, my beautiful wife is stuck in the back uh, because the Lord is touching her. And so she can't move. <laughs> That's why she had to text the, uh, um, the words of knowledge. My beautiful kids are being over there that right now we can't hear them, may hear them in the next hour and a half. Um, and so that will be an inkling of time where we need to end the service. But my daughter is four. She's Eden. Um, and then my son, Judah, is 11 months, and they're just spectacular kids. And then uh, we have our good friend Sam here who's traveling with us uh, in this season with Hearts Ignited and is a part of our family. So we're just glad to be back with you guys. New location. How many of you guys were here two years ago when we were here? Raise your hand. Okay, not many of you. Wow. Okay, so a lot of you, this is new. Hi. We're now introduced. I don't know all of your names, but it's a pleasure and honor to be with you guys. And so, uh, Grant and Rachel, thanks so much for having us. It's a joy to be with you guys. We love you, and um, our hearts are just thrilled to come alongside of our friends and uh, just do the kingdom work. You know, um, our job is not to pastor you guys. That's their job and the people that they've equipped. Our heart is to come in as a ministry to come alongside of leaders and say, hey, how can we help support the work that you are doing? How can we come alongside with our skill sets and add to what the Lord is doing? And then now after we leave, it's time to steward the things that we bring. So that's a part of the process that we'll be going through uh, over this weekend. So I would encourage you, if you're part of this church family, don't be here tonight just saying, ooh, gimme, 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 gimme. Have a mindset of give me so I can then give away. Okay, and so let's be a people that's actively wanting to learn more how to do what the Lord's done. So we are equipping ministry. I run a ministry school in Bakersfield, California. It's our heart to train and equip the body of Christ to do the work of ministry and to become fully mature in Christ. And so we have some resources back there that are for your benefit. There are teachings that I've given that I do all over the world to help equip you in healing, the prophetic, uh, different spiritual gifts, as well as identity in Christ. And so you can check out those resources back there. And so one of these is called Seated with Christ in Heavenly Places, which is fun because it's Ephesians, and if you've been reading that in the back, you know that you're seated with Christ in Heavenly Places. So who would like that? Raise your hand. Okay. That, okay. <clears throat> you get this in the blue and the white, okay? You do. But the, you did this. You're like, do I really want this or do I not? Yes. Yeah, so, but you did it. But you're the only one that did it. So you get this, okay? But I'm any time that any speaker or a pastor is going to give away free stuff, all of you should do this, okay? All right. Let's try this. All three. One, two, three. Raise your hand. All right. There we go. All right. Some of you still didn't do it. <laughs> all right. We'll get we'll we'll get you delivered. It's okay. So uh, here, right here. All right. Yeah, God bless you with that. So the reason why, again, free resources is that none of that goes into our pockets. This goes into our ministry and helps us get to the nations, places where they can't bring us in. They can't give us honorariums. They can't pay for our airfare. And allows us to sow into the body of Christ with the revelation and the teaching and equipping that God's given to us, but then allows uh, you guys to get those resources and help our ministry get to places like Rwanda, Zambia, Mozambique. We've been to India, South Africa, South Korea. And that allows us to get to places that normally we can't get to and helps us raise that support. So also we don't have to then ask people for money. We're actually equipping the body of Christ and those sales get to that missions budget. Does that make sense? So everything that goes back there goes towards our missions budget. Uh, we also, my 
wife makes this amazing creative art, and so this one says, throw kindness like confetti. Who would like this? Oh, yes, yes. We've learned before I even ask. Yes, for a hand raise. We already have that. And then so, and then here is uh, some, uh, this is a table runner. I don't know what this is. So, because we just put it out. It's brand spanking new that we got out there. We have some different uh, uh, um Cloth fabric pieces. I'm not used to saying this because, but this has been made in Africa. And so we bought these resources so that we could sew into a ministry and then we would resell them to help us get into the nation. So who wants this table runner? You can have it. Okay, there you go. So all of those pieces of fabric are there as well uh, that have been made uh, in Africa. Um, Honey, what nation was that? Was it Mozambique? Okay. What now? The Widows Ministry in Mozambique, okay? So those are made by widows, and that helps them raise support for, for their livelihood, okay? So, um, <clears throat> so we've done words of knowledge. We've been in the presence. How many of you enjoyed the presence of God tonight? All right? Do you guys see the shift that occurred? Like we've done a great part in that first part of worship, and that's a lot of times what we have to do. Sometimes we feel like we're, we're warring or doing other things like that. But something shifts and changes in the atmosphere when all of our eyes get focused on Jesus, right? And I think it's like he is the universal place where all Christians can unify, all right? We may not agree with any of the theology of the other songs, but if it's Jesus being exalted and that God the Father is holy, we all can agree on that, right? No matter where our backgrounds are. But not only is that we can agree on earth, we're actually matching the, the phrases that's around the throne of God because we know in Revelation that that's what's being sung. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's the only one worthy to receive all glory and honor and praise. We're not singing new songs. We're singing the songs that have been sung in heaven for all of eternity. And there's a richness, there's a depth to that place when we worship what the angels are worshiping as well, which is our Father. And so I'm thankful for the spontaneous songs, which we call prophetic songs. I'm thankful for um, uh, the the new releases of what the different uh, artists are bringing. And we need that because there's new songs. And that's what's being released in this hour, and there's an anointing on that. But there's nothing like the richness of the heritage that you have in some of the hymns that have been sung all around the world for millennium in the earth. There's just something that is unique in what, what we see sun in heaven. And so just know that every worship set and every worship and every day at church is a new day. It's a fresh day where God can do something brand new that he didn't do the week before. And so if you're used to the regular rhythm of this is what church looks like, watch out because God is in a season where he is doing something new all the time. And so in Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 19, it says, Stop, okay, behold, I'm doing something new. Do not look at the past, yet do not consider the former things. Behold, I'm doing something new. Now it will spring up forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will create streams out of the desert and roadways in the wilderness. Okay. How many of you know in a desert, a spring that sprouts out of the ground is rare? The only type of water that usually comes is a downpour, and that usually brings water for several days, weeks, or months, and that's all that it gets. And so if we're looking up to the sky for revival, God, pour out your spirit, but actually he's bringing up something from the ground. We'll miss what he's doing because we're looking at what he did in the past. 
So it's not only like forget your sins, forget what you've done bad in the past, but also the way that you've connected with God, the way that you've seen God move, the way that you've worshiped God. Behold, he loves what has been done, but behold, he wants to give new forms of expression because he's a God of creativity and he can't help but do something new because he constantly is revealing his glory for all of eternity. You guys doing okay? So that's why we have to be open for mystery. Because in one week, we, we kind of know everything. We have all of our religious degrees, and we know all the passages. And then God does something new, and we're like, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know how to explain that. I don't know what that means. But that's why we need an active relationship with God who we can hear his voice, and he can tell us, this is what I'm doing in this moment. And here are some scriptural references to help you understand how I've done that, okay? And so what I want to do is I want us to take a look at a, a, a specific passage in scripture tonight that was done specifically, and it was a specific prophetic word for the nation of Israel, but we can use it and understand how we can use those principles of God's nature and his character to bring something about today. And so what I heard the Lord say in worship is that, because I asked him, you know, we want to do some prayer ministry, we want to do some impartation, but Lord, is there anything that's on your heart tonight that you want to do? And he says, yes, I want you to teach and minister and release the Ruah of God. And so the Ruah of God is actually a Hebrew word for the spirit. And it means several different things. It means spirit, it means breath, it means life. It's a big pregnant word, okay? You know, there's, there's those words that are, I call them pregnant because they can do a lot of different things. One of those words in the New Testament is sozo. It means not only to be salvation, but it means healing, it means deliverance, and it means restoration. Shalom is another one of those words. It's very pregnant because it has multiple meanings, that not only depending on the context, but it can mean a fuller aspect of who God is. Does that make sense? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel 37. All right. Now, I really felt in my heart I wanted to teach on the person of the Holy Spirit tonight because there are a lot of teachings on the Holy Spirit that are, are good, and we, we want solid biblical understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Um, what I, but I also kind of want to give a commentary because I believe that in our relationship with God, there are, I don't want to say levels, but it kind of is levels, there's maturity in the depth of relationship, okay? How many of you are, are married or have been married? Raise your hand. Okay, all right, lots of you. How many of you know when you first met your spouse, you knew everything about them in that moment when you laid your eyes on them? Exactly, all right? Unless you are the prophet of the ages, okay? How many of you still know everything about your spouse? Raise your hand. Really? Like, okay, who's here, who here has been, been married more than 10 years? Raise your hand. Okay, whoo. All right, put your hand down. How about 20 years? Raise your hand. Who's been married 20 years or more? Okay, good job. How about 30 years? Anyone in the room? 30 years. Wow, several people. And you still don't know everything about each other? What's wrong with you? You guys not spend enough time with each other? No, that's the whole point is like how many of you have had a relationship with Jesus for decades but still don't know everything about him? Is because God is so magnificent and so wonderful that if he gave you all of himself in a moment, he'd kill you. 
Because you couldn't handle, your brain sockets couldn't handle his magnificence. And that's why whenever he churns, all the elders bow down and again lay on the ground and say, holy, 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 because what he just revealed is so breathtakingly amazing and beautiful and wonderful. And so for all of eternity, I don't believe when we get to heaven, we'll be all-knowing. I think for all of eternity, we'll be getting to know the all-knowing one. He is the only one that is all-knowing. And so a part of relationship with God is the pursuit, not of knowledge, but the pursuit of relationship. It's the pursuit of knowing God's heart and his ways and understanding who he is. And the Bible specifically says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that no person on earth can understand the ways of God. The only person that can understand God is actually the person of the Holy Spirit. And not only does the Holy Spirit know a part of God, he knows the very depth of who God is. And then the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul, but we are not like another. We are not like those in the Old Covenant. We're in a new covenant in which the Holy Spirit actually resides in us. And if he knows all things about who the Father is, then he'll actually teach you about the ways of God and even the depths of God. And we even can have the mind of Christ, which means not that literally Jesus' brain goes into your brain. It means is to know the heart and mind and intention of the one whom we love and whom we serve. And that only can be done through the relationship with the person of the Holy Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? And the person of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, he is the one that empowers us to know in the depths of our heart that we've, if we've confessed our sin to, to Jesus, we've asked him to uh, give us a brand new spirit, it's the Holy Spirit that actually tells us and confides in us and reveals to us that we are actually children of God in which we are able to cry out, Abba, Father. It says that's the person of the Spirit that gives that. When we don't know what to pray, it says that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. So talk about a friend who, when you don't even ask them to pray for you, they're doing it anyways. That's the Holy Spirit, right? So Holy Spirit is not this ghost figure out there in outer space. That person of God is inside of you because you gave your life to Jesus Christ, and he is with you at all times, even praying for you and watching over you when you don't even realize it. Isn't that a wonderful thought? So when you say, I'm alone, no, you're not. Now, you may want physical presence, and that's good, and we want that and need that, but it's actually not the truth. You are always in the presence of one. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, where can, not 139, 119, where can I go from your presence? If I go even to the depths of Hades, you are there. If I go to the highest of heights, you are there. So what is he saying? God is everywhere, right? Okay, you guys doing okay? This is all about the theology of the Spirit, okay? I'm trying to land the addresses for you so that you can write them down and look them up later. I'm on a preachy flow tonight. I told him that. If I put the earpiece on, I'm going to be in teacher mode. I'll have line upon line precepts with the microphone like this handheld. I'll be preaching. So uh, we will get to Ezekiel 37 in a second, okay? Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, who can know the mind of the Spirit? He's like the wind, all right, how many of you have ever heard um, uh, a meteorologist on the news tell you the weather's going to be like something, and then you go about your day, and it's completely not that? It's everywhere, right? It's north, south, east, west. It's everywhere. Who can know the mind of the Lord? So that's the thing is that people say, well, we can't even figure out the Holy Spirit, so why should we even try? See, Jesus wasn't communicating that, that we shouldn't try. What he's communicating was a higher authority, a higher way of thinking in which Jesus is looking for those who will actually want to know the mind of the Spirit, who will actually pursue and stick their finger up and say, where is the wind going? Or put some grass up if you like to play golf or something else like that and figure out where the wind is going because you want to hit a good shot. So we're in a service. 
All right, Holy Spirit, I, I think we're going to go this way, but I'm not really sure because I can't figure it out. You know, are you over here doing words of knowledge or are you over here doing, doing prophecy? Are we supposed to pray and fast for China or what are we supposed to do? And then that's where when we have those hungry congregations that are like that, then they're all over the place. So you see a, a whole letter like 1 Corinthians where Paul's like, hey, I love you guys. You love spiritual gifts, but you guys are wacko. You guys are like trying to go above each other with tongues and prophecy. Just chill out and just it's the same spirit. All right, so that whole list of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he lists the nine gifts, the Holy Spirit is mentioned in every single verse because he's trying to get them focused off of a singular gift and get people focused on the person of the Spirit who is the one who distributes all gifts. And so we get kind of off track when we're trying to say tons is here, prophecy is here, words of knowledge is over here. And it's like, listen, chill out. Your gift is amazing, but you don't have everything. The only person that has everything is the Holy Spirit, and he is the one that was promised to us. God never promised us spiritual gifts. He promises the person of the Spirit who then gives his gift. So why would you only want one sliver of his presence when you can have the whole batch? You guys doing okay? So what I'm trying to do right now is to bring some adjustment to our understanding of who the Spirit is as we get to this passage and understand about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because I believe more than anything else, the Holy Spirit is looking for people who will not only, he can reside in them, but host his presence. Okay? And what that means is this, is that we'll be consciously aware of when he's moving and what he's doing because you not only want to grieve his spirit, but because you want to know what is he doing. That our focus is not on what we want. Our focus is on what he wants. And really a lot of times in the body of Christ, we think that our prayers are really holy when they're really out of balance. Because they're more focused on what we want than what the Father wants. And really this is where the beauty of Jesus comes in is that he was the one who actually really modeled what it looked like to be fully dependent upon the Father and the person of the Holy Spirit. And we really see that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus actually didn't want to die on the cross. If you didn't know that, read the book. He's like, hey, God, Father, dude, hey, Papa, you know, let's get as intimate as possible. Hey, this thing that you've asked me to do, this cup, I don't want to do it. It's going to hurt. It's going to suck. Just be real, and I'm going to have to bear every person's sin on me. If there's any other way, hook a brother up. Now, that's a TBV. That's a Timothy Berry version of the Bible, okay? That's my paraphrasing of the guard against sin to me. But then he says, but Father, here's your Trump prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. Okay, Lord, I'm thankful for my $2,000 car. But, Lord, if you want to give me that $50,000 car, I'll just take it in Jesus' name. So, not, but not my will, Lord, you know. I'm just joking, okay? We can, it's okay to joke with God and, and be, be funny about it. So, but, so we want to be a people that are about the business of our Father. We want to be about the business of the Holy Spirit. And the, rea the reality is this. You guys hear from the Holy Spirit more than you think, okay? How many of you have ever been brushing your teeth and all of a sudden you get this random crazy idea? Raise your hand, all right? Or in the shower, or on the toilet, or driving your car, okay, anything that you're doing absentmindedly, all of a sudden, this boop, this thought comes in. That's usually the Holy Spirit, is that there are times when we're doing things in life, and all of a sudden, it just comes randomly, and if you can catch that, it's like, oh, the wind blew my way today. I have this amazing revelation of what he's doing. Other times, it's pictures. Some of you get pictures. Some of you get dreams. Some of you get inclinations, or you have a discernment or a gut feeling. There's a lot of different ways the Holy Spirit communicates, so I really would encourage you guys, if you've never done any training on hearing the voice of God, that you do that, because you'll be amazed at how all the ways that God communicates to us, and all of us 
us in this room are different. So your way of perceiving from the Holy Spirit may be different from mine, but it's just as genuine and just as good. And so what the enemy does, he tries just to pit each other against each other, saying your gift is not as good as mine, or I really want your gift because I don't think mine is very effective, and so I'll stop using mine to pursue yours and not realizing that that's just as genuine as your expression of hearing the Holy Spirit as well. Okay? So in Ezekiel 37, the reason why we're going to read this is because the setting of Ezekiel is Israel has been destroyed. <laughs> if you didn't know that, the, first of all, Israel the, the, uh, that was, um, was, was taken by Assyria and then Judah was taken by Babylon, okay? And so they've been taken into captive. And so this army that we're about to look at, and this is a very common and very, very known passage of Scripture, is literally like they were defeated. They were killed. And the whole people are now are in captivity, and so there is despair, there is hopelessness, there is questioning God. Is Yahweh really real? Is he really protective? Like, can I trust this God to protect me and my family? Does he have my, my well-being in mind? And, and so the, these are the type of questions that humans go through. Now, you might be in this room and say, well, I don't ever think that's things. I'm like a super spiritual Christian. That's awesome. But for the rest of us, we have those doubts. We have those insecurities. We have those questions that come. And guess what? It's okay to be a real human being that has emotions, thoughts, and differences. Thank you. One person would like to be emotional like I am and to not have their everything, their ducks in the row. It's okay to be real and to wrestle through hard questions. And so Israel is in despair. They're in his hopelessness. And they're asking this question, Is can we trust this God? Can we trust Yahweh? And so God brings a word to Ezekiel as a prophet to bring encouragement to the people of Israel. Okay, so we're going to read this through. 1 through 10. It's going to take us a little bit of time to get through it, all right? But we're going to read this 1 through 10. All right? The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by who? The Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. All right? He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I love Ezekiel's response. And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. <laughs> right? It's like, I don't know. Only you know, God. It's a very spiritual answer. Okay. So again, the, the Lord said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. That breath is that word ruach, okay? R-U-A-C-H, okay? Ruach is the, is the pronunciation in the Hebrew. And that literally means the breath of God. So when God breathed life into Adam, it was the ruach of God. It brought life to something that wasn't alive. How many of you know that that's a little bit of power, right? To resuscitate something that is dead or to bring something that's not alive to life, okay? So we look at New Covenant pers perspective of that it was the spirit of the Lord that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the same spirit that is bringing life to something that is dead. Make sense? Okay. So Ezekiel is getting th this commission of a word from the Lord on what he's supposed to say. And it specifically says you are to prophesy this to the nation of Israel. So verse 6. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So what is the purpose and reason of God doing this miraculous thing that you would know that I'm God? 
so that you will know that I am the Lord. Because they're doubting God. They're questioning, is God really God? And he's about to do something miraculous because he loves the inner question. He loves that, you know what? They're not necessarily doubting me out of a place of where they don't like me, is that they've actually put their faith and trust in me, and now they're questioning whether or not we're actually going to be saved by the God of, the, of, of Israel, okay? So, so then Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. Say a noise. And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. Now, time out here. How many of you, when you get a prophetic word, uh, you think that the Lord is going to be the one that actually does it, right? Because he speaks to you. But sometimes when you get a word, it only comes to pass if you speak it out. This is very important because a lot of times when you get a prophetic word, it's actually for yourself. So sometimes you need to be actually your own personal prophet. You need to prophesy over yourself. You need to prophesy the word of God. You are a child of God. You are a son in which you can cry out, Abba, Father. And that's why it's so important in biblical meditation in the, in the Jewish perspective to meditate on something was not to empty your mind like New Age meditation teaches you. Biblical meditation is to fill your thoughts with the thoughts of God, but actually it's literally underneath of your breath, you're constantly quoting the word of the Lord over your life. And that's why in Joshua 1, 8, it says that you will actually be prosperous and successful because you're meditating on the word of God day and night. That was not emptiness or even just thinking power. It was literally speaking the Torah out of your mouth 24-7, and because of that meditation, it would make your way prosperous and successful. How many of you know the Jewish community is very successful in life? Because they're quoting and meditating, and actually, literally, they're obeying the, the Bible. How many of you would like more money in your bank account? Start meditating more. Start declaring God's word out of your mouth, and just try and see what happens. Try, try like two or three months to see what happens. Nothing can hurt, right? Come on. All right? But we're not done yet. So he prophesied. It wasn't until he prophesied, but it was only only prophesied. I was prophesied as I was commanded. So he understands that it's not about his ability. It's about what he's being commissioned by the Lord to do. And so when it comes to the prophetic, it's so important that you're obedient to what God says. Because even though you hear him, that this is his heart for your city, this is your, his heart for your community, but if you don't know how to speak or how to act, it may not come to pass because just because it's God's heart doesn't mean it'll actually happen. Right? How many of you know that God wants every person to be saved in the universe? He, his desire is for all people to be saved. Are every, is every person saved? No. Now, God could do it just like that. Right? He could. But he's created the cosmos the way it is because he wants partnership with a family. That's you and I. And he wants a family contribution to be co-laborers with him. You guys doing okay? All right. So, verse 8. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So we've got a partial answer to prayer or a partial prophetic word that's been declared, is that he, the Lord told him, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and the breath is going to come into them. So we've got bones, we've got sinews, we've got, that's a very dramatic vision, by the way. If you've ever seen bones and then all of a sudden see different muscles and ligaments come onto them and veins and then skin, that's a very weird, bizarre vision. Okay? 
and he's watching this happen, but then there was no breath. So we got a problem. This is, a, this is like a, a being, a body, but it's not alive, okay? And so in verse 9, the Lord said to, said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. I have a lot of theological problems with that last two verses. Because the breath of life is God's life, his presence, the spirit of God. And then he says to Ezekiel, as a prophet of the nation of Israel, I want you to prophesy to me. I want you to prophesy to my breath and command it to come into someone's life. Now, how many of you know that we are not supposed to be telling God what to do? Of all people on the planet, we know we're humble. We're, we're, we know our place on the totem pole. He's God. We're not. But he specifically told him to do something. I want you to take the authority I've given you as my representative because only you who are on earth can actually bring something about because God's residence isn't on earth, it's in heaven, and he needs human vessels to actually bring his authority into the earth and actually allow him to do what he did in his heart through obedience. So I'm sure Ezekiel was freaking out like, <laughs> how do I? It was first a spirit brought me <laughs> into this place. Then he's showing me this great vision, and he's speaking to me. I mean, it's a big, big encounter. And then he's like, then God says, prophesy to me that I should do what I want to do. And it wasn't like a petition prayer asking thing, like, hey, God, would you please put your breath into this army? You have to command the Lord to do this. What? That does not make sense. How does that even work? I don't know either. Why does Jesus tell his disciples that as they go, they should preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand, then they should heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, and raise the dead? It doesn't say ask Jesus to do that. It says you guys don't do it. This is the Bible, guys. This is not me, Timothy Berry, making this up. It's right there in Scripture. And this is where I think is, is the issue. If we don't have a relationship with the one who's giving this information, we don't know if he really wants us to do that or not. And we begin to question not only our authority, but our identity. Does God really trust me with doing what he wants to do? But if you're in closest in relationship and know his heart, when you're friends with him, and he's like, hey, friend, I need your help. I want to do something on the earth, but I need you to co-labor with me. Would you remind me of my promises? Would you remind me of what I want to do in the earth? So when I say prophesy, you're not commanding the Lord. You're reminding the Lord how awesome he is, and you're saying, yes, I agree. I come into agreement with what he said. What heaven wants to come to earth, I on earth say, heaven, I give you permission. Now go breathe life into these bones as your will is. Does that make sense? And so I believe for you guys as a church family, get ready because God is about to give you greater, greater assignment. And he's about to give greater, greater clarity. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the, like an increase in the visitation of the Lord in the night season in which you guys are having dreams and visions like this. In which you see prophetic things throughout your community and God's going to ask you, begin to ask you to do some crazy stuff. 
And it's not crazy stuff like necessarily in public. It's private intercessory stuff where he says, I want you to go stand on this corner because it's the red light district of our community. And I want you to prophesy to these bones that these ladies would live and have life. That they would experience the presence and the power of God and receive the unconditional love of an Abba Father who will treat them like princesses and queens. And just because you declare something and prophesy it, whole shifting begins to happen because you were just obedient to what God said to you. Now, we know that this vision wasn't literal. It was a vision. It was what he saw in the vision. But now let's look at this vision explained to understand why, why, why was this happening, okay? So in verse 11, we're going to go here all the way till um, uh, for a while, okay? You guys doing Okay. All right, so verse 11, then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. So here's the deal. He's saying, this is what Israel is saying in the secret place. Our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Why? They've been completely exiled out of Jerusalem and they're now in Babylon, which guess what? That's the same place where Abraham came from. So God took Abraham out of Babylon to take him to Canaan, the promised land. And guess what? Because of their sin, God took back to the place where they first came from. So it's kind of a slap in the face to the nation of Israel. Fine, I took you to be my own people. I'm going to send you right back to the place where you came from. (laughs) And they're like, oh God, we're completely cut off. Our bones are dried up. So he's saying, this is my answer to you as a loving father. I'm going to give you hope. Yeah, you're in a place of judgment. You're in a place where you got to wait this out for, for a couple decades. But guess what? Something is coming, and I've got great encouragement for you. Therefore, verse 12, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. Watch this. I will put my spirit, say spirit, Okay, it's the Ruah, all right, within you, and you will come to life. And I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Actually, we're going to stop right there. We can get into some other stuff, but I'm going I'm to choose not to go into that. Um, so my heart, my heart in expressing this is I felt like the Lord brought me to this place to say is this, we're going to have a time of ministry tonight, and we're going to ask the Lord to release the Ruah of God. We're going to ask the Lord that the same Ruah that has the power to create an army out of dead bones has the ability, wherever you're at in your life, maybe you're personally dry. Maybe you have been in a season where God hasn't been speaking to you or you're unsure about your future, that God would bring his spirit and breathe fresh life into you where you're in a place of despair and hopelessness. And I want to tell you, it is okay, church, if you have those moments. We don't definitely want to live in that place of hopelessness and despair, but by God, all means, life circumstances happen. And it's okay to have those moments of doubt, of insecurity, and not sure what the Lord's doing. But we need each other to encourage one another, as well as to prophesy, hey, this is the word of the Lord. God's life wants to come into you. He wants to refresh you. He wants to renew you. He wants to give you fresh hope. He wants to give you a picture of your future. And that's the power of the prophetic, is that one prophetic word can change your whole outlook on your future. You guys doing okay? So get ready for a prophetic increase in this house. I'm talking dreams, visions, visitations, in which the Lord is going to speak to many of you. And if you begin to hear and give testimony of, like, I was up for two hours in this, in this crazy vision, and this is what the Lord's showing me. And those of you that are more left-brained and analytical, you're like, 
what in the world are they talking about? Don't worry, that's me, okay? I'm very left brain, and all those mystical people and prophetic people kind of weird me out at times. Uh, but I'm also one of them, too, because I have those encounters as well. And so, uh, so I have got two things going on at the same time. I'm doubting what they're saying at the same time. I'm like, oh, I want to have that myself. And so, you know, <laughs> everyone's been like that. Like, I don't know if I can trust that person, but I absolutely want to have that experience that they're happening, all right? And just to trust one another that, you know what, it may not come to pass right then, right now, because how many you know, Ezekiel 37, even though he prophesied it, didn't happen right away. Happened a while, all right? So guy Daniel showed up. Probably Daniel and Ezekiel were contemporaries, okay? They were hanging out at the same time. And so it didn't happen until uh, Nehemiah showed up, and they got taken back to the ruins. They got to, and then guess what? After that prophetic word, then they had to rebuild the temple. All right, so read Nehemiah, and it actually took lots of years and a lots of warfare for them to actually rebuild it. So something that's prophesied doesn't mean it's going to happen right away. It actually means you have to do a lot more work. Uh-oh. <laughs> People are like, huh? What? I have to do more? Yes. Yes, you have to work. You have to toil the land. Good Lord. It's called work. It's called doing something, not just sitting and drinking and having a good time. Yes, we have those moments, but then get off your tush and go do something. If you're not prophetic folk, you don't know what I'm talking about. If you're a prophetic folk, you know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? So, uh, We've been having some, uh, so just let me give you an example before we pray into this ministry. Uh, we had a prophet come into our city in Bakersfield. I've been an associate pastor there for three years. We've been there for five. And uh, she saw a vision from the Lord that God was going to give us a, a city block. Now, we already own a city block in downtown Bakersfield. But she said, I see you with a second block that you guys own. And when that happens, it's a sign that revival is coming. And so we're like, yay, it's a good prophetic word. That's very encouraging. Now, that block that we want, we've been trying to acquire it for 15 years, okay? There's a nice big warehouse on the lot. Then there's this um, dirt area where we park on it, literally across from our church that we've got, been given permission we can park on it. And then there's a medical society building on it. So there's two different companies that own land, own parts of the land. And so when, when she says this prophetic word, in the next two years, both buildings come up for sale and both uh, entities sell us those properties in a place where we had been, gone to them several times in the past 10 or 15 years with not even a close ability to buy the property. And within us even trying, they were put up for sale and they gave us the buildings that we wanted. And we actually now own two city blocks. Wow. Sign that revival is coming, right? And so we're having these profound worship meetings. Like literally this past week, we had a prophet in from, uh, uh, from out of town. His name is Mark DuPont. He's actually a well-known prophet that prophesied about the Toronto outpouring a year and a half before it actually happened. God's been using him for the past 20 years. We had such a profound presence of the Lord in our services that we called for an extra meeting on Monday night of this past week in which he and other leaders described, I have not felt the presence and the glory of God to such capacity in the past 15 years. But that prophetic word was four years ago. We bought it two years ago, and we've done nothing with it except move our administrative building into the, the offices for the medical society. There's nothing on the land. We're not in that warehouse because there's tons of legal fees. Then we have to raise $2.5 million. Now we realize it's going to be about $6 million to build all the stuff that we want to do. And there's all these permits and all this stuff, and it's a lot of freaking work. I'm a pastor. I've been doing a lot of the stuff to make it happen. And so we know revival is coming. We know it's a sign. But we now have to steward what God has now given to us and not let it just sit and say, oh, God fulfilled the prophetic word. He's so amazing. Yay, God. Let's worship some more. Yes, let's worship and do some work. Okay. Are you guys doing okay? 
So God has got some work for you guys to do. And let's not be weary in putting our hand to the labor because God wants laborers to go out into the harvest fields and do the work. Okay? Does that make sense? So, but here's the deal. Don't grow tired and don't grow weary. And when you see your leaders work, working and laboring to benefit you, ask how you can get involved. Ask how you can be a part of it. Don't just allow them to serve you. See how you can serve them and serve others in the body of Christ. Because when a team and a family come together and begin to participate in that way, whoo, we can see the kingdom of God grow significantly. Amen. Now, I said that spontaneously. There's been no conversation about that whatsoever in uh, my conversations with the leadership of this house. I just feel like from the Lord that there's a loving challenge to you as a community of God for an extra all in. Not just one foot in, but both foot, both feet in. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Elizabeth, you got anything that you want to share? No, you're good. Samuel, you want to share that word that you got? Hi, guys. So uh, when we were in worship today, what I saw uh, was that the entire ground became a barbecue, and the Lord was getting ready to start cooking. And what I saw is that you guys, um, everyone in this house shares a commonality that you guys love the presence of God. And you don't just do it here. You do it at your houses. You do it at home. And then when you come here, you do it as a family, but at home you worship. Am I right? Okay. And what I saw was that the Lord has been specifically pouring out on every single person his presence in such a way that you have received it like sponges, and he's grouped you together here because he's starting to light the barbecue, and you guys are like the charcoal that he's beginning to light. And so tonight what I saw was that Actually, during worship, he like when it got intense while we were seeing All Hail King Jesus, I saw him take a match and strike it like on a boot and flick it just right in the middle. And so I believe tonight that the Lord's going to start something that you guys have been asking for for a really long time. Um, and that his spirit's going to be poured out and you guys are going to be set on fire. And it's not going to be an old flame. It's going to be a new fire that's going to be... Uh, and, and the thing is that you have to stick together as a family because the moment you light a charcoal briquettes and then you spread them out, they, they go out. Even if they're not fully burned, they go out. But when you stay together as a family and as a unit, you continue to burn. And if someone starts to go, go dim, the, the heat surrounding them will reignite them and you bring them closer together and you reignite. And so I think tonight the Lord is going to be igniting you guys and it's going to be a new thing and it's going to be beautiful. So get ready to burn. Okay. Cool. Yay. Yay. So who wants to get lit on fire? And maybe you already are on fire, just you want more gasoline poured on the fire. The Holy Spirit can rule you in that way too. So, um, so what I'm going to ask you guys to do, why don't we stand up? Um, I got a playlist that you can play off the phone if that's okay.